0: Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Since opening in 1999, Fabric has grown into the most significant dance music institution in the UK. It also holds an international reputation reserved only for the venues making an enduring impact on the culture. But most importantly, Fabric enjoys real grassroots support from ravers and the dance music community at large. This gave them the strength to enjoy events like the club's controversial closure in 2016 and is key to their ongoing relevance after 20 years in business. To celebrate those two decades, Tom Faber speaks to Fabric's Judy Griffith and Andy Blackett to hear the story of how an old cold storage space became England's most famous club. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with fabric is up next.
1: So, uh, hello and welcome to the RA Exchange. First, if you could maybe just introduce yourself very briefly and tell me what your role is at Fabric.
2: Uh, my name's Judy Griffith and I'm the promoter, Promotions Manager at uh, Fabric and I've uh, been there for, oh God, about 19 and a half years. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm part of the brickwork there. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, could you also just give us a flavour of... Uh, one of your earliest clubby experiences at Fabric as a dancer?
2: Okay, so that would have been in the, within the first six months, I guess. Um, I remember like with Fabric actually because it used to be like massive queues to get in, like really long. You used to always really panic about whether you're going to get in for starters. And then um, I think the first one I went to was Tony Humphreys, which I think was the second night of opening because the first one was V recordings. I didn't go to, I don't think I was there at like that, but I went to Tony Humphreys so That was my first night there. And it was just—it's really weird because it just really was different. It was just—it actually from the start, it was actually a really different place to be, and you know, I was like the clubbing queen. At, at, at that time as well, so I we used to go to every single club in London. Um, but still yeah, do, do. Really, I still do. I know yeah. <laughs> nothing's changed, but um, yeah, Fabric was like—it uh, was really just a breath of fresh air. It was kind of like what one of us—we all used to think, "Oh my God, this is what we were waiting for," but we didn't know that we were, you know. So yeah, I think I think Fabric from the start really what well, really did sort of like change things in sort of the, the, the landscape of clubbing in London. Sure,
1: great, and we've got Andy as well.
3: Yeah, I'm Andy Blackett. I've been doing the bookings with Judy. Uh, 10 years now, which time's gone very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, Early
1: clubbing experience?
3: Well, from fabric, I'm a, for me, actually, the, one of the most things that I, actually sticks out, and it's probably quite timing-wise, is actually um, actually the third birthday tea towel. I've still got loads <laughs> in my home. I've obviously been a few times before, but if there's a memory that sticks out, is <laughs> me and my mates coming back with about 20 of these tea towels with... The three on it. <laughs> and yeah, it was the never-ending tea towel at home. Yeah,
2: yeah, it was a really funny yeah. uh, presence, actually. What
3: did the tea... Ta-
1: what was on the tea towel?
3: It just had a number three. three. It was a nice like, design three number three, and,
2: three. Well, it but, actually had... Because um, what, what we... Um, I'll just butt in there. But like, we, we uh, based it on the... Um, like a souvenir tea towel that you would get if you went to the seaside or something. So it was like actually... Craig... It was actually got Craig Richards, Terry Francis... James Lavelle and potentially Ali B were probably like pictures of them on it on the actual towel, and it's just like it's just like a really old school type type of thing. But that, that, that John Cook like uh, yeah. based it on a I souvenir mean, yeah, on a souvenir towel. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe. it. sometimes I think I can't believe we did that. I mean, we used to like every year for like the first kind of five years, like have a present for people on the birthday. And you know, we'd be talking like printing about 5,000 things, you know, mm. so that everyone got one each night of the weekend over the birthday. It's like, oh, this cost a fortune. Um, but we, but we would just do it and give them away for free. Um, the first one was a mug. Okay. It's just got... Um, I've uh, got it. James, still got it at they home. Had James
3: Terry and yeah, had all the residents. James Terry residents and Craig on it. On it yeah.
2: like a commemorative mug. Like, Do you, you
3: know? still
1: have any of these presents? I've got all of them.
2: Yeah, oh, I've got all of them. So there's yeah. the ice.
3: There was an ice tray, fabric there was an ice, ice tray juice. as well. I've <laughs> got loads of those in my freezer. Fabric oven freezer. Club, which happens to be the worst oven club known to man. It just the heat goes straight through and you <laughs> to, it. It does everything. actually. Yeah, but
2: it did ask um, me. I had I had like about ten of them. I still love it when I go around to my mum's and she still uses the things like that. You know, she's still got our our oven glove you know and she's got the the fabric ice cube thing why are they, they all freezer. kitchen
1: why are they all kitchen implements
2: i don't know actually because <laughs> the the mug was cuz you do a commemorative mug you know like charles and diana kind of thing <laughs> that, the mug came from that and then we kind of sort of i guess sort of stayed on that kind of souvenir type theme with the towel the towel actually someone made me one day i randomly forgot my handbag on the club night, and the girl that was doing reception, she actually grabbed a couple of the tea towels that were just sort of left in the box, and literally stapled me up a handbag for the night. And I, <laughs> it was amazing. I still got that as like well. Like, like
3: an early tote bag.
2: Yeah, she kind of like <laughs> stapled it around the sides and made me this bag. And everyone was like, "Whoa, I love your bag, dude." <laughs>
1: That's great. So, I mean, Judy, if you've been there since the beginning, do you think you could give us sort of a flavour of what the London nightlife landscape was like when Fabric arrived or just before Fabric arrived? The
2: underground was healthy. It was really, really good. But the but the, the clubs, the big clubs, it was just like, it was all superstars, superstar everything, you know, superstar DJs, super clubs, you know, just big fees. Like it was just big, 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 really. And um, well, a lot of the parties and stuff that we were going to, like uh, Plastic People, small small clubs, you know. Um, Kenny Hawkes and Luke Solomon used to do a night on a Wednesday at Bar Rumba called Space, which again, small, small venue DJs from like all over the world, but like really cool underground DJs, you know? And um there was Thursdays was Ultimate Base with that Carl Cox and uh um Jim Masters used to do. And that was a techno night on a Thursday night at a small club in uh, the West End of London. Um, Plastic People, I should add, was in the West End at that t- time as well. That's where all the clubbing was. That was the hub, was the sort of West End, is not it? And like, you know, East London didn't even get a look in sort of in those days. It was all based around West. And um, but, but so there was
1: sort of feeling of bloat among the sort of clubs and everything exactly. was getting too big.
2: Everything was just getting too big and like, you know, we, we, everybody was getting really fed up with it you know like going there and it's like, so we used to retreat into all these small clubs hearing, hearing all these amazing DJs and so I think in a way Fabric sort of what that's what we took from that was that we took from those clubs. They were our inspiration, but we just gave it a bigger platform, you know. And we gave those people a bigger platform. They were the DJs that we were booking at Fabric. Were the sort of DJs that we were hearing in those small clubs or in the back room yeah. of the bigger clubs, you know. Like Craig used to play. I used to hear, heard, first heard Craig Richards play. It was a big club, and it was in uh, used to do it in the YMCA on Tottenham Court Road, and he used to play in the in the basement. Just everything, like play right across the board in the in basement. The YMCA. Yeah, it was like they used to do parties there. Okay. Yeah, they used to use <laughs> like the floors and do parties there. And um, yeah, it's quite bad. Like it was in on on Oxford Street. So Can't you, you perched your first Malibu <laughs> Stacy, I think that's what it was called. And then Rage that used to be like up there okay, as Rage, well. Yeah. There were so many, so many, so many different kind of clubs. And Terry, for instance, Terry Francis, he used to play at the Cross. You know, he used to do a night there, like at the cross, which is where Keith, our boss, originally comes from. So that's kind of like, you know, how he was, he was hearing all the, he was booking all these people for the cross where his brother owned the cross at the time, Keith. And Keith used to just, you'd do the flyering and do all these other di- different, different things for Billy, who was the club man. But, but Keith always like wanted to have his own club and used, to, you know, he spent years looking for fabric. Mm. I don't And know, how was- did he
1: decide on the location, do you think?
2: I think just from going, just looking everywhere, all of the time, and then suddenly this came up. I think it was something to do with Cameron, is how it came up. I don't
3: know if you know, but well, no, no just in past conversations, obviously, it's long before my time, but it yeah. was more the space dictated it rather than the location. Yeah, he found the space, and he goes, "Right, this works."
2: But also, it was and in like, Farringdon, which yeah. is which is which is where the meat market is, yeah. and so they had pubs that were twenty four hours. Do you see what I mean? Because they just opened for the meat market, so. It was a good location as well in the end because we could we, we, we quite easily got to first twenty four well, hour license. Yeah, but when, back
3: back then it it was a bit of a dive around there. Totally,
2: there was nothing so, there. So you
3: know, fabric. Nothing. I mean, we were talking about gentrification earlier, weren't we? Fabric was probably the first new thing in that area. It was a lot of boarded up old butchers and the restaurants weren't there. You could look at it now, it's, it's
2: yeah. Uh, I mean, we kind totally of totally different. There, I think.
3: Um, I mean it also provides a very unusual
1: experience I think my first time ever clubbing was to fabric And I really vividly remember coming out at 6 o'clock in the morning Sorceride and walking through all the meat Yeah exactly seeing All these like raw They're, hunks of like,
3: yeah. flesh unloading, around me Unloading pigs out of the back of a truck So yeah. surreal yeah, yeah really surreal yeah, You sit in the pub and there's su-
2: someone next to you with a bag of giblets
0: more, you know?
3: so <laughs> more so on a Sunday Sunday night they do it more so now yeah.
2: yeah, you come out and there's the meat market. But you'd be like, some of the pubs we used to use as kind of afters, because there was nowhere to go. So we used to go to some of the pubs, because they would be open on a Sunday morning for the meat for the butchers. So, in a way, it was a good place, because as well, it's, it's very... It was just the city. It was the city. So, um, Farringdon was only a nine-to-five place. Like, Beyond after five o'clock, it was it was dead. There was no one around there. There was no restaurants like it is now. It's really no hard to sort of think, anything. Yeah. yeah, like even like when we were in the offices there, we our offices used to be by Malmaison when we first got there. We used to have to walk to the club, you know, um, and we, the, the offices, we used to, you'd come out like on all those kind of days. There would literally be no one. Like we would like Easter, Christmas, all these kind of times where we would be working. There's just nothing. We couldn't even go and get a sandwich. There would just be nothing open. Now it's like literally cafes next door to each other. So a lot of the businesses thrive off of, off of us and a lot of those, a lot of the news agents and stuff, they used to thrive off the queue fabric. You know, they the news agents he never used to open at night. But then because the the queue used to go past his shop all the time, he decided to get a license to open up like in the evenings, literally to cater for our queue.
1: It's a bit like those little fish that like, go along the sides of whales and just kind of like, <laughs> eat yeah. the- I up guess so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Andy, you mentioned briefly that the space itself of the club dictated it being appealing. What about the space of the club on the inside do you think is special?
3: I don't think there's anywhere else like it. I mean, you walk down three, three flights, three stories. Virtually, yeah, you it's walk a down. Yeah, it yeah was a cold and it's store. an old cold storage, stroke abattoir to serve the the meat market. So it's all these brick arches, and and you really have a sense of when you're down there, sort of time. And you because there's no daylight whatsoever. So I mean, there's times when we've you know been partying in there, and you open the door and it's it's daylight. You can get lost in there. Um, it's, you know, we're not, when everything's open, the two staircases and the, the different rooms, and it's a bit of a, like a rabbit warren. You can walk around. And I remember in my first time going there before I started working, half the fun was trying to, I say half the fun was trying to find each other, but yeah. you would be going up Staircase 2 going, is this Staircase 1 or Staircase 2? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we all know it now, really, inside I, I didn't
1: even really realise there were two staircases but when I, I first <laughs> arrived. I thought there was just one and it looked different as yeah, the light that really went on. throws
3: people, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, but I think also maybe when you lose your friends, it gives you more of an opportunity to meet new people and to make exactly. new connections. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah
2: that yeah. was one of the things people used to say about Fabric in the early days as well, is that they just come in there with all their mates and lose them, and then I like, not really ca- hook up with them again, really the but yeah. like make lots of new friends along the way. You know, it's just go home with some different people. Mm. Yeah, it was always kind of quite comfortable and sort of safe and friendly
3: i always felt oh, it's like a very like-minded people then wasn't it yeah, yeah i
2: think you know the people that went were were just all the same as you, same as us you know like we were clubbers putting on our putting on parties you know for clubbers that so that's that's how it was we totally were on the same length same age as our as our people that were coming you know so it was it's just always like a it was always like one big family really
1: and has it continued to be like one family in terms of the organization
2: yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different now, but but on the whole, yeah, I would well, say. Because I mean, there's the so of... many people that are still the same. I mean, I've been there for well, like Look at the
3: time years. everyone's there. So, now, Judy's been there for... There's nineteen odd years. I've been there ten years. There you was s- the years. Scott Patterson who recently I say recently left quite a while ago, but he was there for eleven years. Yeah. Kimmy, sure. who's you know, helps me and Judy out with everything, she's just about to, to leave us, sadly, but she's been there seven, eight years. Yeah. The boat, our designer's been there the same length of time as me, ten years. Yeah. So the
2: And Sean Roberts, who did uh, Fabric right. Live
3: for eighteen, years. He was 18, there about 18, 18 years. years. Yeah. So the what do you call it? The rotation, um, of staff is is very low, yeah. Um, which is a and you know I think a testament. You that I think it is. You know, people that are passionate, no matter what gets thrown at them, we actually care what we're doing, and and I think that's why everyone's been there for as long as as long as they have.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I think so too.
1: Do you think that, or are there any other reasons why you think Fabric stayed so strong for so long when clubs were rising and falling and
3: opening and closing? I think, for me, it's trying to stay true to. What we've done, and in, in modern times it might be slightly harder to do this, but it's its integrity of we're booking these DJs because they're good, not because of their names. Yeah, um, there's no big hype, and you yeah. know, and uh, Judy's done it probably more so than medium out of people that were playing. You know, even when I've started uh, for ten years, I've seen or we've I should say we've taken but you've seen them start as a five hundred pound DJ in room three to going into room two, to then going into room one, to then headlining. Uh, And then uh, then, that's when it becomes difficult because the other venues and bigger festivals, NC... The, the the rise of this talent and then you're in a you're in a, a different market which is hard to compete in. But yeah, that's the I think the big beauty of, of fabric.
2: Yeah, I don't think we I think people trusted us. We didn't re- we never really strayed too far from our ethos and what we wanted to do. And we kinda came along quietly. Um we you know there's no big hype, there's no, no, no superstar DJs, no ego, no big noise. It was just 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 gently saying, this is what we do. I like, hope you like it. And luckily, 2,000 people every you know, night did like it. Mm. And it, it really was like that because, you know, we opened at the same time as um, Home, which had opened a month before. What was With, Home? That was like a um, home, a big club, in big super club, I'd say, in Leicester Square. And um, it they kind of tr- the press, I think, tried to put us up as rivals, but we weren't really that bothered. We we, we were focused on what we wanted to do.
1: Who was playing there?
2: And home had like you know big noise, huge like it was campaign. Paul yeah, fold yeah. was there, um, big resident, and you know it was all just whoa whoa whoa, all singing, all dancing, and a, a very you know a product of the time that I talked about earlier. Like you know that was a product of that was how it was clubbing then, and you know big sort of people would come and worship him almost. Yeah, on, but on, if you, on you the talk night. about
3: location, is they. Probably chose the prime location, but a wrong location. But a wrong location because Westminster Council would not let them go on past three.
2: Exactly. In the end, it was so
3: they kind of someone
2: coming into London, they'd think, oh yeah, where where should we open a new club? Bang in Leicester Square, Mm. sorted. But of course, it probably was the worst thing they could have could have done because it was like right in the middle of the West End, and the restrictions were horrendous. You know,
3: so they got shut down eventually. So they were,
2: yeah. I think think they only lasted about a year and a half or something, something maybe two years. And then we, on the other hand, the press was saying. Oh, God, here's his other club. They're coming along really quietly. Just a few teaser flyers, I think we did, saying who was go- who was going to be playing. And um, announced the residents. No one knew who that Craig Richards and Terry Francis were. I was like, what is Then They're opening in East London. No one went to East nice, London in those days at all. There was nothing there. And so it was just like, what is going on with Who are these people? What are they doing? And, you know, we just sort of quietly opened, not, didn't care what other people were thinking and just stuck to what we wanted to deliver. And like, who are these DJs on the lineup? No one knows who these people are.
1: But you say quietly opened. W- weren't there sort of cues around the block from yeah, day one? But,
2: but what I mean is like, we weren't like screaming from the rooftops, like this is us. Yes, of course it was queues from day one because people connected with that. People were like... I kind of like the sort of that. We did this little teaser campaign with these flyers, and it just said, Danny Snagley or whoever it was, yeah. like, at Fabric. And that's all we I said. think the big, we out, the big difference know?
3: is the way at the time, all the other clubs were, look at us, we're great, shout, shout, shout yeah, when they're big selling name their lineups. I that. used to work elsewhere, and I used to do exactly the same. And you the, always, what you appreciated with, with, with Fabric was even the flyer. Yeah. The flyer, the lineup was virtually secondary to the artwork. Totally. It was a, it was like um, um what do you call it? A, you know, a platform for a bed of artwork, and the the DJs lineup would be in the top left hand corner, really small. Yeah. And everyone exactly. used, you know, the, the old flyers were, were so were collectible, and I think that kind of understated play on it, it, it appealed to a lot of people.
1: Yeah and it's I think probably quite ahead of the curve as well because now it's obviously very cool to underplay it and to be very muted in your yeah. kind of
3: like yeah and everyone copied or tried to mimic the artwork I remember style. people trying to copy
1: our flyers
2: Either
3: fold out flyers and doing everything in different way and, yeah because we had yeah. fold out
2: flyers before a flyer would be like you know a big thing with maybe a girl with fluffy boots on or something like that yeah. it was never like a, a, a thought thought through like image you know our artwork was just as important as our lineups you know we had like our, an art director in John Cook for 10 years you know he completely like covered our whole art direction you didn't there was no cl- club back then who who had someone solely doing that that's whole interesting. Department, you see. Pictures,
3: pictures of the headline dj with their own logo on the top of it yeah and it would be something like that
2: that's what you would see and
3: also the other good thing that fabric did sorry button in there was it wasn't about headline djs you would have a headliner in there within it but it was all the djs with the same name S- sorry, same billing, size, equal, equal billing. Like, None of this, I've got to have my own logo. Yeah, I, my I want got my name be, bigger. Be bigger than like, so and so. It was yeah. all right. no, this is how we do it. We put our residence top and everyone else is, I shouldn't say secondary, but everyone else yeah, is Yeah, they weren't
2: secondary, they were equal. Yeah, equal. It was just yeah. equal billing all the time. Yeah. And in we terms
1: wanted... of your art, your art direction, the fabric logo has become quite well known. Is there like a sort of uh, an idea behind it or is it just like...
3: Well, you it's know, the dogs. Well, it's a we, dogs' tooth. It's the it's the fabric pattern, isn't it? With
1: yeah. The sort of.
3: Okay.
2: It's like it's what I think it's, it's called like, dog's
3: tooth, isn't it? Is it's it it is it? like yeah. yeah. Dog, it's,
2: it's, it's, but but okay. I think it's like you know when fabric um actually I think when people get samples of it in the mm. industry it comes on a, a bit of a shape like that too. There's something like, like that a, as a well. Yeah. 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 You know. But if
3: you Google dog, t- I mean that's but yes, why houndstooth it is came houndstooth. about yeah, because yeah. houndstooth logo is. It's a basic, I say basic, yeah. it's a more simplified version of a houndstooth. Um, yeah. Pa- um, what do you call it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's
2: why they called the label houndstooth, because yeah. it sort of took yeah.
1: from Okay. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. So Fabric continued um, very happily, very successfully for almost 20 years. There were a few challenges along the way. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, got through them. And then in 2016, got some pretty bad news. Yeah. M- maybe, Judy, could you tell me about... When you found out about that, and was it a surprise or what can you tell me from your perspective
2: um yeah it god it was a, it was a major surprise um you know we, we literally just had a night, i think scuba or somebody the week before and and then literally halfway through the week we told we're not going to be, we're not going to be able to open. And we're like what? We're like yeah, the clubs the clubs aren't going to be able to open this weekend, you know, like the the police have come and you know they they says they're shutting us down. And we were just like this is just so surreal. It was just like how could that how could that happen? They're telling us that we we don't do our jobs properly, we don't care about our our customers and all, all, all these things that are completely alien completely opposite to to what we do you know we've always been forefront of looking after our customers customer care has been one of the top things that we we do you know and um, so what
3: was the stated reason well obviously we had we had some incidents before and we beat, I shouldn't say we beat, we won a court case to beat sniffer dogs and not have ID scanned two years before. Sorry, when you yeah. say incidents, um, drug deaths. Drug deaths. Well, yes, drug okay. deaths. Um, there's no denying what happened to us, um, so we all still find it quite difficult to talk about, um, but sadly these these two young lads, um, you know, they came in and they got drugs through the search and um, they... Um, yeah they, they they took the drugs and had complications and it was two in we had two in 2 weeks which is alarming you have to admit it is alarming mm. um but for the 10 years before we've had nothing and then suddenly there was this spate and this rise and i mean the sadly it was it, the the police felt it was easier to solve the problem by revoking the license um rather than maybe dealing with the social issue um but i'm not going to blame and point fingers or anything. And so, yeah, so they they revoked the licence uh, pending appeal. So we As a
1: complete surprise, you were given yeah. no notice. No, they, I mean,
3: there's two things yeah. before. I mean, if you go back to the original court case, they wanted to amend our licence. So you appeal and you operate on your old licence while the court case happened. It took two years for the court case to happen. We had no incidents for two years. The magistrate then ruled on our in our favouring, saying, look, I have first-hand experience that ID scan doesn't really stop drug taking happening and mm. and um, s- fabric search is robust enough that she didn't feel that sniffer dogs was, was appropriate. So, so
1: yeah. j- just just to summarise, mm. wh- what you were saying was that they had been asking you to put ID yeah. scanners and sniffer dogs in the security and you were saying that you didn't want and that. No. Yeah. And uh, ultimately after two years of yeah. going back and forth, they agreed with you.
3: No, we won in a... Ama- we, we we, they to took magist- us to court. We, we oh, went okay. to a magistrate's court and we okay. won. Okay. Right, and then so Mm-mm. basically, if I'm... I hope I'm not being... Um, what do you call it inflammatory what I'm saying so basically after we that, won the court case yeah after then, that I would guess they would I shouldn't say waiting but any next incidents, they would you know they want they to they, they're going to want to say look you know
1: we
2: were right we, yeah they, ma- they, mate you know they probably uh, weren't happy that we won
3: so
1: it's a bit like sort of revenge.
3: No, no, I'm not mm. going to go down. No, no, okay. no, no, I'm not going to go down there. You know. <laughs> okay. you yeah, I just think they're doing their that... job. They're doing their job. The, the law is, you know, drugs are illegal. Upholding the law, they have a duty to protect the the customer. We believe it should have been dealt with differently than them, but we not can't start pointing fingers now. two two, two, three years down the line, but on the second time when you got two in two weeks, it was like right, you're not allowed to operate, we have the right to appeal, and that's where we went to review, but it took a good six, seven months to get appeal, and obviously we've got a venue and staff and everything to pay for five months of closure, and you're hemorrhaging money, and we had to let... We have to let all the staff go. It's basically only me, Judy, and Kirsty who did the PR campaign and Kimmy that were in this office. Everyone yeah, else, we to take everyone, to everyone anybody, else, was, which was, was lost absolutely their jobs.
2: heartbreaking. Um,
3: and, so,
0: yeah. and
1: so when you heard the news, did you think... Um, Oh my god what are we you know yeah, what's I, next now it's closed or did you think sort of no it's no, not possible he always we always can...
2: thought it was going to close we did I, I, I never I never uh, uh, until everything started but at that point when we were initially mm. told I n- didn't think I just thought my the job was over. That the club was. We were just in shock. We were like, "What? This can't. How can this even be happening?" Yeah, I guess it was. Just, it was it it really was, was a really low, low it numb, time. It was I,
3: numbness, wasn't it? Um, numbness of not knowing. It's, it's like, but both me and Judy. I mean, d- different ages, but all of our lives have been in clubland.
2: Yeah, and somebody's totally. pulled
3: this rug out from under you, and you kind of fall into this trapdoor. And we're all looking at each other. Oh, what, what do we? What do well, we do now? When you
2: know, you've been doing it. Right, and you could not have done it any better from from every level. You you know what we deliver, what the security deliver, what the floor staff, what the bar staff, everybody coming together always gives one hundred and ten percent. Everybody in the club is like passionate about what they do and they deliver it with love. So to say that we were not doing that was just so. I was really heartbreaking for me. Like I don't think I've sort of really felt that kind of grief and loss like other than sort of losing someone you know close to me in my life so that's what it actually felt like I I I I really did feel feel the loss terribly you know I even got ill didn't I I was like Uh, end up in the hospital for over a week just like mm. triggered by stress and just the worry of it of it all you know and also I you know when we when we finally did have that sort of we had six months of of um campaigning and what what really tipped it over was to be honest for certainly for me was the people coming to the club and kind of almost having this open grief outside the club coming to almost pay their respects to the club and tell the club what 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 it meant to them like you know that no you are important so you know you you shouldn't be treated like this and it was like it it was those words from people that really made us think you know what God, maybe we need to actually fight this. Like, we can't just let this happen to us. We've got to get out there. We owe it to the next generation who are not going to have the opportunity to come and experience this club. You know, we owe it to them to at least put up a fight for it. But I mean, having said that, we could never have known that it would have been so phenomenal. Like, you know, we just like, oh, let's just get a little petition together. I mean, it was staggering. I mean, I like just thinking about it now, I get really quite emotional because... It was shocking, like, the way that petition just went off, people sharing it, it's people, like, seeing it every day. It's the then the donations was just like, what the fuck? You know, because we couldn't
3: afford, we couldn't afford a court case, you know. Um, yeah, you know, people think oh, clubs are made of money and all this. T- yeah. Trust me, they're not. the The overheads of running these Our businesses are ridiculous. So high. So when when you're shut, with are doing fifty grand a week. You're just chucking it down the sink, and you know. So you, you've got nothing in the bank. So the only reason we survived was the donations. Completely. And it was I've got to be power hats people. off to the customers and a good few artists and even rival venues. We yeah. had. XOYO Colombo Group, we had Warehouse Project, we had CODA, who's an agency... Which all is over the gen- world, all over the
2: world. ...giving us
3: money, and I think it was a turning point in the way clubs, especially London clubs, yep, started absolutely. to... Deal with each other. We were very much um, what do you call it?
2: Well, we were very we like much.
3: That we we were were a a didn't really like, talk to um, each other. Their competitors were doing this, you're doing that, and no one really put their head above the parapet. You know, we're all right. You know what I mean? You'll be like, we're all right. Don't want the police to. You and just suddenly, wouldn't really. You
2: didn't really share information. Suddenly, I mean, it's not like because I th- I think with fabric is like we were always on our own little paths. So I, I I couldn't have told you for at least 10 years what was going on down the road in terms unless i was at that event i can i i i didn't really look at anybody's lineups i just cuz we just were in our own little bubble yeah. and so it, one thing that came out of the the closure was was just an open, more of an open dialogue with other clubs and and more unity and more like realizing actually, you know what, this is a community and we need to be reminded of that, that we're all in it together, you know, and that whatever happens to us could also have a knock on effect on any club in London or any club in the UK.
3: I think the main thing was, was that every other club and promoter and operator knew that could have easily been them.
2: Totally, you
3: know, the, people take drugs, and it could have easily been any single one of us. And if that was happening to us, it was like, okay, that could easily be us. It could be easily them next. Next, yeah. So, and I think people saw that as a real red flag, and and also yeah.
2: customers that had been to the club were like, hold on a minute, that's not the experience I ever have when I'm in there. So, we need to say this. We need to support this, and it was global, which was just like. I could almost expect the UK, but when it became global, that was just really heartwarming and very overwhelming, very overwhelming. It, the traction on it was really quite quick. And, you know, Kirstie did this amazing job just like, because we didn't know what we were doing. We were literally making up every single day as, as of that closure, uh, making up as we went along, I, I, really. No one, we didn't have anyone to base it on. We didn't have anyone to go, oh, that happened to them. Let's see what they did it literally was just this new thing that was just kind of organically growing into almost a monster which was it was quite overwhelming to deal with you know it was like oh like literally pouring my heart out constantly because it was just like, every time I had to talk about it, I, mean, I ended up going on marches and, and talking, you know, public speaking. I, and I never do that stuff, you know. I'm like a nervous wreck, like, you know, <laughs> just just even for this, remember. But like, you know, suddenly I'm in the in the park, like, talking to all these thousands well, of was, people about, you know, how I
3: felt. Was, that was the day, I think that was a really hard day because they did, a, somebody arranged this Save Our Culture March on the back of our campaign. And I remember me and you having to stand up on this bench with, I think Normsky was with us mm-hmm. and a few other people. And it was really difficult because that was the day we let our mates go. Yeah. You know, Saul and... Had Saul. To, oh, we've had to sack, I say sack. We had to let, let go, go you couldn't afford to 150 people. And now I am standing in front of people on the day we've let... So yeah. I'm still feeling about it, really it now. It was hard, yeah. S- trying to say, s- save our culture. So it was a really yeah really difficult moment as as I was saying I still don't think now as in because when we got the licence back it's suddenly like mad panic go 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 you've got to fill a diary and you're opening next weekend you're like Jesus Christ and also
2: without your friends because even when we reopened we couldn't
3: couldn't afford
2: to have we couldn't afford to re-employ everybody again because we were absolutely bankrupt it, we weren't allowed to use the money that people kindly raised you know the tax man got involved and said hold on you're no, not a charity it wasn't, or something no wasn't no it? it
3: wasn't that at all we just no the, people donated the money for a specific reason and that we because it goes into a third party trust like a trust fund which mm. was to help
1: your legal to help battle. the legal yeah.
3: battle when it, there was an out of court settlement so um we felt it was. We did a transparency statement. We decided there was there was there was a good bit of money left, was loads but we split it through it so we, through charities.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So we
3: gave some to NTIA. We gave some to music. Totally, but stuff. we weren't NTIA able to use up, yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Of course, we did all that. You but we can't weren't misuse able to use it to, to for the day to day running of the business. No, you weren't we allowed to because it
3: wasn't the reason it was given to us. Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of
2: like literally in, in we were in minus massive, and we were like couldn't afford to. So we had to reopen the club
3: from start We
2: with about sort of four or five of us, or so was something in the office, yeah. and like we and we ran like that for probably the first year
3: or more I mean, than that. I mean, we've only just only
2: really just we've getting that take
3: a couple more people a few months ago, but end of last year, really, I yeah, say, a few months ago. We and that's we... up to a full compliment. Um, did anyone come back? We were doing two or three people's <laughs> jobs, yeah, weren't we? Yeah, um. You know, Uma, the accountant, came back. revo the designer, came back. Um, yeah. Christian, who only got his job about three weeks before we got shut down. He <laughs> yeah. He, he does all of our editorial for us. <laughs> um, obviously, Kirsty actually stayed on with us. Kimmy yeah. stayed on with us as well. But... Uh, um you, uh, the ops team the guys who run the venue they, they came back as well um, so, the so a lot of people everyone been... who lost their job were the first people to get offered their jobs back do you know what I mean you know a few people decided to go on to other things you know? yeah um, it was too long it was six yeah. months you so, know?
1: so can you take me through the mechanics a bit of how the reopening actually happened
3: why? Blind, why did you reopen? B- blind, oh, why did we reopen? You
1: know what happened in order to reopen? What changed the tide? Well, I think it was the,
3: the groundswell of support, and I think, yeah. um, I think there was two things going on. In we had to meet certain criteria and conditions. The council certainly softened to us being there. Uh, they never had anything against us, essentially. And if we met these conditions, and I also think the timing of the announcement of the Night Czar made it everyone kind of get around the table I'm not saying they were responsible but the position was announced three or four weeks and it is I think everything was lined up to the mayor's office going London is open London nightlife and on the other hand that they're about to closed. shut down one of the <laughs> biggest clubs it, it, or, or the, I shouldn't say the jewel in the crown but at the time <laughs> yeah the global probably the most recognizable brand Globally, Definitely, mm. the country's iconic yeah, nightclub. Totally. As well. So there was a bit of a it contradiction. There was a bit of a contradiction, so, like London is open little... but Fabric is closed. Yeah, oh, so. a... <laughs> like what's Do going I... on? Yeah. Here? So you was... know,
2: this is supposed to be a 24-hour city. What?
3: Yeah. So there was a lot of back.
2: Yeah, I think door... it I shouldn't say
3: backdoor lot... conversations, but you know, there was a lot of conversations in the background, and once the police was satisfied enough. That we could operate robustly under the conditions, they've le- they let us reopen. Uh, was there a
1: kind of hearing where that decision
3: was no, made? No, it all happened beforehand. Obviously, there was round table discussion. There was, yeah, at, there was not we, a
2: public hearing. There was a hearing, yeah. but not a public hearing. Okay, we, that's well,
3: what the court case, will, we, there would have been a court case on it that if we'd lost, we'd have been shut forever. Yeah. So this was the gamble, but if we'd won, if we'd won. Um we, we know did. that we if we'd have won, we would
2: have got a lot of conditions. Yeah. Anyway, there was never no way that if we'd have gone through the co- actual court case and had a public hearing, it could
3: come out worse with more. We, we could have d-
2: either come out worse, but even if they'd have made the decision we want to reopen, they were gonna make us reopen with conditions. No way they're gonna just let you open as if nothing had ever happened. Yeah. So it, 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 so it, although in the end we didn't actually have a court case, but it was settled out of court. They were still the things that were discussed, and so we ended up having the club back, but with conditions, which I think is what would have happened if we'd have gone to the public hearing anyway. Yes, yeah. we, we would have still been, even if we'd been, we'd either been shut down completely or we'd have been reopened with conditions. So, and so what so are, are the key
3: the conditions. conditions? Well, basically, now it's ID scan and emptying the emptying your pockets on the on the search, and the, the search is a bit more is a bit more thorough than it used to be but certainly not intrusive um and then it's basically i mean we did have massive duty of care anyway but all the staff have more um what do you call it welfare training you know Uh, um and essentially it's it's, it's essentially it's essentially that but to be totally honest with you the staff are doing that anyway Mm, and it's now got it got written in um Oh, well, we went to over nineteen because sadly the two um, the two guys that that passed away were were eighteen year olds. Interesting yeah. the fact so that most of the 19. drug incidents we have have been younger really? kids. I mean, you can say it with alcohol when I first started drinking, you make mistakes, don't you? Um, so,
1: who do you think um, should be responsible for drug use at a club?
3: I think it's personal responsibility. I think we have a duty of care to keep our customers safe. Yeah. Um, And as long as, you know, we make sure there's no, you know, there's no way of obtaining drugs on our venue. But if you choose to take drugs, you're doing it on your own responsibility. And so if I, for example, if I walked into Selfridges and did some drugs and had a heart attack, Selfridges would never be blamed. No. But if it happens on a licensed premises, even in the pub, the 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 licensed premises is always held responsible for anyone or anything that happens on their premises. Mm. So it's a bit of an unfair yardstick to, 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 to gauge it by. Yeah,
2: because even if someone does something outside of your club, which was the case, say they do the drugs outside of your club, but they come to your club and then they collapse at your club, they happen to collapse at your club. You're still liable, even though they didn't take them on your premises, you're still liable. None of them passed on our premises. They might have just got ill and we were the first, luckily, in a a safe place where we've got paramedics to Mm. look after them. And then they've been you know taken away in, in the hospital and maybe passed a week or so later, but you know it, it, still we are seen as the responsible one even though we're
1: actually the first port of call port of help can I ask did you did you have any what, what, did you have any communication with those boys families what was their are
3: position more um... yeah, Luke has Luke who's our venue manager had to deal with a lot and some of the families wanted to come down and and um, uh, it's a very sensitive thing is that you know some people some parents I would be the same want to lay blame somewhere so some of the parents were very like sh- shut fabric down It's this and that Um we actually had and they, visited, really they visited the club him. and wanted to see what happened, and Luke had to, to show them around, which is a very difficult thing to do for everyone. But you also have to remember the impact this has on our staff when you're fighting for people's lives. But no one, you know, mm. our staff have to turn up to work the next day and they've been doing CPR on somebody. Yeah. That's unfair on our staff. It's
1: very traumatising.
3: Yeah, it's traumatising, yeah, and they're expected really just is. to get on with it, and then you're told you've done something you've wrong. You've
2: done wrong, and actually want to give help.
3: But then there was other people who joined the campaign, and I think over time... Yeah, well, it happens we to, to their son or, or daughter or, or brother in or In other clubs or wherever. And they were like, no, it needs to be more openly discussed, and you cannot blame venues. It needs to be, I shouldn't say more education. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's a society problem, not a. a you can't a venue just vilify problem. your bond venue yeah. for, for
1: it. You Do know? you think on site drug testing is something that could ever be possible?
3: Well, they're doing it in some places. Do you think it's a good idea? um, I'm to be honest with you. I'm going to be totally, totally honest with you. I'm. I like the idea of it choosing, or not choosing, indicating if bad drugs. Mm. But you can still have problems on supposedly pure drugs, and so the danger I think is with that is I go and test my pills. Let's say, and they come up. Oh yeah, these really good pure pills, and then because I think they're clean i do them and then i think they're safe. So but i so that's the danger but do i think drug testing will save more lives if it happens? I think yes. Mm-hmm. Um because it's you know there's there's so much we learn from Fiona Misham, who is a drugs professor that helped us out. She yeah. runs the loop, right? Yes, right, yeah. 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 You know about Hormone cycles of women and when they take drugs, they can be more susceptible to, to um, the, the the effects, w- the effects, yeah, effects of it. Times. You know, your weight, your heart and and that with, with um, your body being able to get rid of heat, you know, all this stuff, so it's all individual to each individual person. So, you know, we could all take the same amount and we'll all have different effects on us. So I would like drug testing, certainly, and it's something I think we're all campaigning for because it would be safer but I understand why the police resist it because it's like you're condoning it and their job is to say drugs are illegal because that's a letter of the law. And if you say, oh yeah, we do drug testing, it's safe, and then you still have an incident, Who's, whose fault is it yeah, then true. Um, I think it's a difficult one
1: yeah. yeah. so something else that happened when you reopened was that you took your fabric life nights which concentrate on sort of bass music drum and bass these strains down from once a week to twice a month correct yes. uh, yeah was this related to there being more kind of Thought about drug incidents at these no, nights? No, because not, no, there no. wasn't
2: any more on those no, nights. It was, was there? No, I don't, it know, it I don't w- know whether that's w- a, like a bit of a myth.
3: Well, basically, the in the in the original hearing we had, one of the counsels brought up the, the um. Oh, BPM b- BPM, and does that <laughs> cause an incident? Um, was, they so said oh higher God. BPMs yeah cause, cause more, and it, it, but they were asking the question, and it's not true. If, truth be known is Fabric Live has always been a cross-section of music. So he's always had drum and bass. And drum and bass has been the cornerstone and the mainstay of Fabric Live. That's what's kept it going. But he's gone from from Doctor's Orders and hip-hop to grime to dubstep to trap to breakbeat. And everything has come. All these other genres have come and gone. That even before closure and in Sean's final years, you know, we were doing Daniel Avery, we were doing Hessel. A lot of these DJs have grown into Saturday sounding stuff. Saturday, Uh, which is more... House and techno. Yeah, And we were finding that it was hard to maintain uh, 52 weeks of the year with, with drum and bass and the Fabric Live sound. So we decided to take it to 24. To, we'd rather have 24, 25 great parties... Really good parties than, than really stretching it out stretching every out the talent and yeah. having 52 okay parties. Yeah, it was really yeah. more about
2: the genres. I was really surprised when people thought it was something to do with the drugs yeah. because but also, I think, it's not really a night where that the, those incidents really happen. But I also
3: think... Back in, I say back in the day, is I think Fabric Live used to be where the younger market generation got into music and they grew up through Fabric Live and then grew into Saturdays. Where I think now is the younger generation, they buy into house and techno from a younger age as well as drum and bass. Mm. So I just think it's just, it's just it catering just, it was for more, change more, in market. Yeah,
2: exactly. It was yeah. just more sort of just evolving with the way the scenes evolved. That's that's what it was. It was not, you know, we want to when we want to continue supporting drum and bass, and we still do, 20 years on, we're still really supporting it. And actually, as, as Andy said, it's probably the only genre within the Friday night bracket that still stayed strong. Yeah. All the other um, genres that, that Fabric Live champion, like breaks and... Uh, Dubstep And you know All of these things They didn't
3: They came and went quickly They came and went You know Mm -hmm. And we
2: we were at the forefront Of them when they were there But when they kind of Died a death we You know We didn't really support anymore So we continued The drum and bass So that's still going Sort of You know We did a really good night Even last week We did a good night Where we mixed it up With you know Ronnie Size and Crust in room two, and Laurent Garnier. Well, yeah, we bought James
3: like Lavelle back as the original Fabric Live resident, James Lavelle Curate. So we did a lovely uncle for the first name, and then we did James, not Garnier, and Ronnie Size and Crust. And, and it Mantra. was really like an
2: original Fabric Live night, yeah, it and it really of, worked. Yeah. It was wonderful to see 20 years on that that kind of night could still work, albeit on a
1: one off basis, you know. And t- 20 years in, when you're putting on a good night, how often do you nip in and have a dance, even though you're working or? every week?
3: Judy's, Judy's <laughs> dancing all the time dancing yeah I, I, I can stand at the back of a dj booth now and stroke my chin and yeah c- occasional fist pump. but judy's always dancing I'm
2: always yeah. dancing like that is like my thing i mean you know it's like we're lucky we can book what we book people you know, that we we're like really
3: privileged so it's Donald, so,
2: yeah so privileged position you know and like so you know I, it's just pretty rare there's I and mean, then specifically for the first kind of 10 15 years i'd like you know, not one person I would a book that was not, you know, in my own record box. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's like you know everybody I book I really like or I like them as an artist or I like what they what they represent so yeah it's an easy it's an easy toddle I just get a proper dance off every weekend (laughs) (laughs) so so you
1: talked about um starting to shift the lineup and the programming to stay relevant with changing tastes so Fabric is now 20 years old happy birthday yeah (laughs) What, what are the main things that you've done to sort of stay relevant in all that time especially recently
3: Oof. I mean, it's constantly been an evol- evolving. The, I say evolving the bookings, but you're trying to bring new people through all the time. So we've have taken on five five new residents on a Saturday. We have got Imogen, Jay Clark, Bobby, Anna, and and, and Voitman that have joined us to try and you know just lay the foundations musically for the future as well as Terry and Craig. But it's also that all the artists that have played for us, it's identifying them young and keep supporting them. So most people, when you look back on it, I mean, I was just going through this with... Ben, ben Cox playing this weekend and we're going back when he first played it's 12 years ago and we're finding him a photo of him but that's the thing we, we like journeys with people we don't like to go oh they're hot now we'll copy someone else and bring yeah. them in
2: so that's why I think it's quite. It's, it's, it's not really a sort of thought I don't think out we're thing changing in terms, of, I don't think of, we're, in terms yeah. of evolving because we've never really been one of those ones that just goes for like a hype DJ in which case you've also if you get into that you've then got to continue chasing that all the time whereas we've always like kind of like Giving people a bit of a platform, giving people a bit of space to grow and to sort of shine. So I, I don't. I, yeah, I think we we evolve with them. We we were on the same journey, kind of evolving and going along with them. We don't we don't have to think about oh, what we're going to do in two thousand and. you identify new DJs that come
3: along, and you start.
2: You're constantly looking, growing at, with them. looking, for new new artists to, I mean, we to bring. All- to
1: put alongside I bigger mean, artists, the way you talk about it sounds a bit like sort of a record label rather than a club. The way you sort of uh, recognize talent and develop them and sort of give them a space and foster there—is it harder to do that sort of thing today than it was before? Yes. 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 Yeah. Why? Because
0: yeah. I actually
3: think today is going back to if you go full circle and Judy going when Fabric started, yeah. big, 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 I and mean, I think it's so like a big show headline yeah. cultures back more than what it was that I think the 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 nights where Fabric really made its name were the the nights in between the big guns. Yeah. You know, where you just actually just put on six or seven quality DJs. And, and we were lucky
2: because people trusted, trusted us. Whereas already, whereas so they knew if they didn't know who the person was, that they were still going to get a good uh, night at Fabric.
3: Whereas I feel whereas now... Whereas now, they're
2: more judgmental. I
3: don't know. No, I didn't say judgmental. Well, they're, but they're
2: more like, if they don't know the name of the DJ... Yes, they're scared to take a risk. They cause won't cause take that risk. I
3: think social media has made it, or everyone blinkered into... I shouldn't say bigger is better, but certain names, certain names become more prominent. And there's not rating not their DJ ability, certain names are more prominent. And I think that we were chatting to a few customers and. It's expensive. London's expensive. Yeah. It's expensive to live. It's now got more expensive to go out as well.
1: How much will a fabric ticket set Anyway,
3: Actually, we do a bigger range than we've ever done. Um, but it's anywhere from 10 to 25. And we do student tickets, we do tier tickets, we do before midnight tickets, we do more of a range. Mm. But it's the drinks, it's the taxis, it's everything. The cost of going out in London, as you know. So as a 25 year old living in London on a on an on a, on a average 25 year old salary. Mm. You know, how much disposable income do you have? Me and Judy were chatting about this the other day. You I probably had more, more disposable income back when I was 20 something than I feel I do now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. So they, when they go out, they say they pick and choose what they perceive to be a guaranteed good night, or, or yeah. a safer bet of a, a safer good night. Bet. So if you've got three names that you know, let's say this weekend, you've mm. got Ben the Clock and Paul the Temple and that, you know, oh, that's going to be a good one, to a, another weekend where you go, well, I've heard of him, but I, I've not really been hit, seen him before, so I'm not sure if I have a good night or not. And the, so I think there's less, um, the cost of things in general has made people, um, the sense yeah. of discovery, Pe- take
2: this, the safer of, option. Yeah, yeah, to the
3: sense of discovery, oh, well, let's go and check that out. Yeah. I think that's
2: you can't really do that kind so much
3: of anymore. gone a little bit in in. Because we in used to go to maybe about three
2: clubs in one night sometimes, you know. Yeah. But you, you just can't really do that now. you kind of got to, ooh, it's... Pick dip or dip choose. Quick ...to go to print works or whatever, but I'm going to see seven F- DJs, yeah. and so I'm going to go to do that. And at the same time, it's going to be all singing, all dancing, it's going to be big production. I'm going to get my Instagram snap, you know, all of that. That's really important to this generation. But it is, drains, but it also, because you know, the
3: cost of it, makes people, I think, the experiential thing. So where we used to go out weekly... I don't think we had anything else to do.
2: Yeah, really. we didn't have
3: as much choice. <laughs> we, didn't have, we didn't have the internet, um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? So we were our, our things with our mates was going out. Whereas now you can, you know, let's say 20 years ago, you you been UFO and it's like, oh, this wicked DJ and you hadn't heard him. So next time he was hit, hit in town, we would go and see him together. Where now I go, oh, have you heard this? Ben UFO, I'll go on Soundco- I'll Google it. Oh yeah, he's wicked. Oh, they'll pick and choose which great event to go to. And I think that's, it's damaging weekly clubbing, that kind of mentality. Mm. Um, So do you
1: think now people are going out less often and when they do go out, it's bigger?
3: I think, yeah, they're spending more money in one go. And maybe they'll they'll choose one thing every other month or once every three months. Um, rather than the weekly cycle we all had. I mean, we were yeah, out. Yeah, it's really hard we to We were out. I, now. Mean, I, I mean, Judy still is. I mean, but we were out three out of four weekends a month, you'd be out. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think that happens anymore. I mean, there is a few that yeah. do it, but it's, well, a, it's a lot smaller amount of people that do that than used to. Yeah,
2: you don't. Well, also, I, I think you don't need to go to a club to listen to a DJ now. You can go to a food market and like sit around and eat lovely, good food with your friends, and there's a yeah. DJ there in the corner playing till a reasonable time, like three in the morning, you've still had your night out with your friends. That's enough. Yeah. You know, my my flatmate, she's like. She's twenty one, she's kinda like quite happy to have her friends round, have boiler room on YouTube and sit in with a bottle of wine. That, <laughs> that's that's a that's for me, that's a warm up for my night out. <laughs> <laughs> but for her, that's an amazing night out yeah. with her friends, you yeah. know. Well a night in yeah. sort of thing. But well, good time. she's got her DJ yeah. there on on the screen playing, and that's enough for them. You does, know? does that
1: make you feel sad? Yes, Little. I'm like, yeah.
2: darling, I'm like double your age and I'm the one that's going out clubbing. I'm the one that's coming in in the middle of the morning and you're like here in the living room. What is going on? <laughs> like, oh you God, know, it's quite can, funny. It's bit really sad.
3: It, it goes back to... I don't know if it does go back to... If it's a change in culture across... Because you do hear, as we chat to all the other agents and, and DJs across yeah. across um, Europe and Clubland, Europe's clubs are struggling as well. I mean, we've yeah. just seen that... Um, Claire's in Amsterdam has just gone they've just put their hand up and just gone we can't keep up with this um, so yeah. it is it is dangerous but I do think is it the cost of everything you know 50% 60% of your, your salary goes on on rent you know by the time you do your food and you pay your bills how much money do people actually have yeah. um, I think that's a dangerous thing I don't know if that's a UK or like London, it, thing, a UK, London thing or if that's a a, a, a more widespread thing but it's yeah. It does. It makes me to feel sad that people don't want to go out; they would rather stay in.
1: But then, on the other hand, you know, around the when you closed, there was so much discussion and a thousand articles about club culture being threatened and mm. is this existential threat to London's nightlife? But then, if I go on Ra at the weekend and look at what's happening in London, there is so much yeah, great we stuff. Kind of. I, I totally
2: agree. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think we've gone from save our culture to to an explosion. Um, but I. Thing. I'm not sure if there's the footfall to 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 yeah. maybe sustain. Even though it there's lots
2: of parties, there's not there's many there's not enough people in London to fill them. Mm. All those parties, look, but yeah. it, I mean, uh, listen, I'm out all the time, and I still find enormous. There's always always going to be parties to go to. They might not be as busy as they were like ten years ago or three years ago, even, but they're still there and they're yeah. still thriving. And there's like as you know, the choice now is incredible. Like, you know, I yeah, indeed, I was, like you know you go go on people doing really exciting things and putting on parties in the most obscure places. Yeah. Like just where? for the sake of the party. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to i I'm going to parties on boats, I'm going to parties in the middle of a forest. You know, in, in Hackney Wick, in places like you're mm. like, how are they even found this little spot? <laughs> and how is the council? They get river away well. with it as yeah. <laughs> well. whatever, they're thriving and they're amazing. And then, you know, so don't get me wrong, that as much as everything's changed and it might not be as as easy to run a 52 week club you know, club yeah, night yeah. every year, especially one of our size. There's lots of smaller things going on under the surface as always, and they're amazing. And you know. Well, I,
3: would, I would say as is, is, is well as is I think London beat itself up for so long, and I think we're still doing it now as a nation with, with Brexit, but let's not go there. Yeah. But when you write <laughs> down on paper, October, November, December, all the artists playing in this city, I think it wipes the floor with anyone else. You know, Berlin's got his own thing going on, do not get me wrong. But when you look at the calibre of artists that us fold XOYO um, uh, um, print works, Will Howard at LWE, Jorge at Village Underground, you know, the Art of Dark parties, all these parties, it's quality, 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 quality. Actually, we are actually a bit small for choice. Yeah. Um, but we do have this beat ourselves up. We always seem to think the grass is greener on the other side for some for some reason.
1: I think I've heard, I talked to a few club owners who said that something they were thinking about doing is trying to like diversify the kind of events that were happening in their venues to try and like get different revenues. Because if you're only making money from two or three nights a week, could it make, is that something that you've done or thought about doing? Something
3: we've, I think, we've definitely looked at because obviously when. We got shut down you kind of looked at each other and went right basically we run a business on a friday saturday and and a little sunday it's a good sunday but it's a little sunday you know what i mean it contributes but it's it's not it's never going to be a a big money spinner and then it's actually we've got this venue sitting here monday to, to thursday empty the what the ability to sustain that now just on a friday saturday and a, and a, and a sunday is, is is tough so yeah we are actively looking to midweek lives and you know we did uncle the other week you know and we've got a few more coming up we've got british murder boys mm-hmm. and we're looking at other promoters to help you like tom baker meet your own ears he's, he's potentially going to do a few things with us next year um that definitely i think venues need to diversify what they do daytime and midweek mm-hmm. um what could
1: you be doing in the day
3: well that's the thing about fabric it's such a unique space it's yeah. very difficult to be anything be other to, than to a nightclub a yeah but, but so they go done, back to impossible. an abattoir yeah <laughs> oh well God. they have done <laughs> a funnily enough we, done a, we did a <laughs> Kitty rave in the day, didn't we? Yeah, did sold out quicker rave? than a Saturday night. Uh, absolutely yeah, well, describe the scene of that kitty rave. Well, TV. basically, we had Terry. Uh, they all had little them. What do you call it? Them sound protectors on. And basically, it's all the old ravers from from back in the day who've had kids who want to go out. My brother's got two because <laughs> he does them as well, down in Brighton. And so they're all there with their kids on the dance. floor It's only a three-hour in-out thing. Yeah. But and you know, they sold it out in God about 24 hours, didn't like, they? Yeah, did and they were shots. all on the dance floor. <laughs> you know, they all got the neon stuff on, and these. Kids Kids are, are just dancing way to Terry playing, yeah. Terry DJing as you would on a Saturday night. So it was playing um, the same
1: kind of music. Yeah,
3: pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, that was no yeah. pepper Pig. Educate, educate, them from <laughs> a young age. Um, so we've done a few of them, you know, and we've we've done a few of our bigger day parties on the Sundays, which we started actually before we closed, uh, which have become a, a real good success, I think, for us. Yeah, been really uh, good. I think the daytime mentality of customers I say daytime mentality I think for a lot of people they need you you can't you know you go out Saturday night to eight o'clock you kind of lose your whole weekend if that's not your only thing to do whereas if it's a daytime thing you know it's four till midnight on a Sunday you go to bed you know you're not well, you can probably will be struggling at work, but at least it's not coming in at eight in the morning, is yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: I always feel conflicted about daytime raves and stuff because I'm always like, part of me is like, oh great, I can get up at nine o'clock and go for a run, and then the <laughs> and then the other and then that the happens other does so, p- does it? No, but there's the idea. Yeah, you know? but and then the other part of me is like, oh, it feels like it's sort of. Sacrificing some really important part of what club culture is.
2: Yeah, I know what you mean. Because generally, like, I'm a best gr- if it's an after
1: hours situation mm. that you're out in
2: the day. I would. <laughs> t- I, I mean, I. I, know what I mean, you're still out from the uh, night before. That's like my type of daytime room. I do. I do
3: <laughs> agree with that. I mean, Saturday nights is all I've done, but I have found a few of the Sundays have a very unique. Special feel to them. They're kind of like slow burners. Mm. You know, everyone comes in and they slowly get into it, and it by the it's end of loose. it, it's really it does have a yeah. Mm, yeah. And but because it's Sunday, everyone is there for exactly one hundred percent the right reason. Um yeah. and they they do have a slightly different feel. Like I do I do like them. Um, but yeah, I think the Saturday night is, is 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 what we're about. Yeah, yeah.
2: Plus we do we started to do. Um, not many, but we we started to do a few things outside of the club as well, you know, like we did Barcelona and did Exit Festival and things like that. And we're kind of sort of slowly looking for a few things like that, like, help the, the you know another sc- another stream of revenue because we could kind of realize we couldn't really just rely on those four walls which we'd never ever thought about not just relying on those four walls before everything happened mm. now you feel like anything's possible
1: sure and you know
2: yeah. and so you kind of got to keep on your toes and like not put everything in one, in one basket which is what we did before we just put all of our love 110 percent into that space that venue but now we kind of have to sort of think about spreading it you never mm. know what's going to happen do you so yeah. you know we need to sort of spread that Spread that love, really. Yeah. It is spread that fabric love everywhere. So you know, we're just hooking up with people that we feel can deliver in the same way that we would. You know, like partners that would do that. So it's kind of like quality over quantity at the moment. But yeah, we, it's it's quite nice to sort of step out of the box and do mm. do some, some some other stuff. Yeah. So we 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 totally didn't do it at all. So was anti like, it virtually, weren't we? we, we? Almost anti it. Like we just didn't want to just go somewhere, stick your stick your um banner up and just say that's the fabric party, because it has to have it was so much more at a fabric party. So that's why, as I said, we're only doing it now if people can deliver a, a little bit close to what we feel that uh, an actual fabric. Same values, would really, be. isn't it? And one, the one of the values. things that's always
1: really defined a fabric experience, I suppose. I mean, there's been one person who's had more of a musical influence on the fabric sound than anything else, right? Your resident. Yeah. Craig Richards, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what he's meant to the club and also about what it's meant for him to sort of be moving on a bit?
3: Well, I mean, he's been a f- cornerstone, hasn't he, from the from the start. And um, yeah, he's a true resident in every sense that you can put Craig with anyone. He thinks about it and packs his bag to who he's playing with, whereas a lot of others can just turn up and play what they play. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, we, we, we were... I, I feel like we were really, really blessed to have someone like Craig at the helm for us for 20 years. I mean, his creative genius, his wisdom, his, like, record box, like, you know, all of that sort of shaped the club's direction and certainly, the, of course, the Saturday nights, you know. Um, you know, they. he was the focus. He was always the starting point with the programming. You know, we had a really uh, great relationship from the start and, like, you know, it was literally... The programming came from his his musical taste, his record box, me going out and listening to people, and like you know our our collectively, what we were listening to, the two of us is what we would put on at the club, you know, or Keith whatever Keith was listening to my boss, you know we were all music junkies and we all like put into the pot, but Craig was you know the the number one there. and as I said, like all of the nights were based around him and then he was a starting point, and then you programme around him. That was, like, why his name deserved to be at the top. Because it's not like he was any better than anybody else, but it's just that, like, he was the basis
3: well, of the you night. Know, he knows how to work that floor better than and anyone else. he can else. play
2: in any room, you know. He is a true resident. Like, he's a digger. He's, like, he is, like, everything... I think the ultimate sort of DJ should have those qualities that, that Craig possesses, you know, you should be able to, if you're as a resident, you should really be able to have a range, you should be able to play in every room, you should be able to play for anybody at any time of the night, the warm up, the middle, I think, or the end. But I know?
3: think those qualities only come from probably being a resident for 20 years. Res- absolutely. Because when you, you know, become, I shouldn't say a touring DJ, practice. but when you become that superstar and you're playing to 5,000 people to a thousand people or whatever in a, in a I shouldn't say an alien room but in a different room to a different crowd each time I think you're very much in out you know what I mean I, I used yeah, to say at true. festivals you get the festival sets and I, you know with, with Craig it's just like all those abilities have come through being in there From weekly being in there
2: like honing that yeah. skill you know that's the, that's the, the beauty of going being a resident going through the I tough think.
3: times you probably learn going through the tough times to going through the, you know the, the packed dance floor times you know it's ups totally. and downs that all add into his experience and yeah. why he can always deliver really
2: always. Yeah. And Terry too. Terry was also a really good staple at the time, you know, with the whole te- tech house scene. Because, you know, Terry was one of those people who was just so um, consistent and reliable. And it's just like, you did. it didn't matter what state he was in, you knew he was going to always give you a good set. It was like either going to be really good or it was going to be excellent, you know? <laughs> it was like never anything less.
1: <laughs> and so from all that time, is there like a, a personal highlight you can think of being in the club musically or dancing or something? Oh my God.
3: Oh I'm going to go back so personally, it's probably the 15th birthday for me I mean I'd been there for 5 years at the time but just the whole experience of the 15th birthday it was it was it just, just yeah I think I'm amazing I agree with but you. really it really was my special moment I mean but Probably, Why it
1: special take me there because well, it was a
2: culmination. I think of everything we'd done in the 15 years us. leading up to it as well, musically, right. and like all the people that were on the lineup were people that we'd supported from, uh, you know, the kind of near the beginning of their careers, and then they'd go- gone on to be kind of big. Uh, everyone
3: you know? delivered. I mean, and it was just Johnson, perfect. Matthew yeah. Johnson did his live, which he made his CD. It's probably the. But It's definitely the best Matthew Johnson live I've ever known, but probably one of the best lives I've seen in the club. Just everything, the vibe about it and everything. We had Ben Which and, made into, into the we had ben and the Marcel doing so that good. a very German back to back for 12 hours in room two, where yeah. it was one-on-one-off oh, one-on-one-off so rigidly German it was great and the only reason we stopped it was because they had to go Marcelle to airport. Marcel taps me on the leg and goes Andy I've got to be at the airport in one hour I've got to get to airport. yeah ADE. we have
2: got to leave now we
3: um, like, Armé Dixon doing six hours then in Armaid the middle Armé Dixon did
2: six hours all de- during the day they took us through the day and then Ben UFO came oh, on
3: I think <gasps> you've got that set here or we put it out the Ben UFO 15th birthday set oh, is phenomenal God, it's
2: like the stuff everyone really thought about on. it and
3: everyone really delivered everybody yeah.
2: just stepped up to the plate and then like to end that glorious day, night, 30 hours with Craig and Ricardo Villalobos like back to back for another 10 hours or something. It was just, what? Oh my God, honestly, I get excited just thinking about it because it really was an amazing night. I mean, it was one of the other, other, one of the other birthdays that was good for me was like, I think it was the 10th birthday. And um, because, um, my name's Judy, of course, um, there's (laughs) a a track by um, Daniel Bell called Baby Judy. And so, of course, you know, people play it Play it. Used to play it at the club all the time. You know, oh, let's play "Baby Judy" for Judy. You know, and it it is one of my favorite favorite records. Um, Anyway, on the tenth birthday, I think it was, we managed to persuade Daniel Bell to. To get, dig out his DPX alias and actually do a live,
1: because before Judy. he used
2: to only DJ, come and DJ for us, and he hadn't done lives for years. And I was like, always oh, like, oh my god, why? he's So many amazing records, like come and come and do a live at the club. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, you know, I don't want to do it. And he's like, we managed to persuade him to do it for the tenth birthday. And then like, he, before he when he was doing the sound check, and then like before he came on, he's just like, hey, Judy, you know what? I'd really like to sing Baby Judy to you like live on the, on the stage and it's just like oh my god really no 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 you can't I'm going to get too emotional I don't, th- I don't think I can I'll be so embarrassed no 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 no. And he's like well listen I'll leave it open it's up to you I will make an intro when I do it and then it's up to you whether you come up or not it doesn't matter I'm just still going to play it and so I remember he was on and we are all down the front going, oh my god DBX and then like when Baby Judy just literally those first like bars come in you know it's that's record and I remember Matt Tolfrey literally pushing me up on the stage like literally giving me a leg up and going no you've got to go up there and I'm like no I don't want to I
3: literally me, <laughs> was stood there
2: like a lemon while he played the record and I was just kind of like standing there and I was just like crying because it was just so emotional like to hear Daniel Bell actually playing um Baby Judy because as well you know it, it, that record like obviously everybody played it but from people playing that record it then spawned lady judy because baby judy wasn't actually about me people used to think it was about me but it actually wasn't about me but then it spawned um lady judy which was like me getting a record um, made uh, about me which dedicated to you dedicated to me and about me and then i also got to feature on the cover of this and like you know for me it's like being on record is like it's like an actor getting an Oscar, you know, it's like, this is the ultimate for me is to sort of be committed to vinyl. But you know, I've been a vinyl junkie for, for years, like since I was a kid. So this is like, oh my god, I've got my own record. And I've actually got two now because I got Lady Judy, and it was which Jay Hayes did, and Matthew Stiles and Jamie Jones remixed it. Uh, I mean, incredible. And then I had um, another record that my friend, heartthrob. Yeah, it's kind of like sounds like the beginning of Baby Judy. Funny <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, but yeah. So now I've got two records. I've got another one um, on Seth Troxler's label as well. Beautiful. So this is about me. So so yeah, check mean, me out.
1: You've <laughs> both been with the Fabric for so long. Do you, c- can you? How long will you stay? Do you think you'll be there
3: forever? <laughs> that's
2: a, that's a I think true, twenty years it? already is ever. Yeah, like, I,
3: I, I really, I really don't know. Um,
2: it feels like a decade to me. It doesn't feel like I've been there for, for 19 I mean, and mean, It and doesn't feel years. like I've been
3: there 10 years, does it? No, really? it doesn't feel like you've I been mean, there for 10 it really years. It's just like, wow, it, it's gone really quickly. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I love what I do. I, you know, I do, I think, the, the stresses and pressures of it are a lot more than they used to. Yeah. So um, it's always good to do different things. But at the moment, we're, we're, we're all... We c- we're carrying on with what we do. Yeah. Um, I
2: mean, it's it so, like, yeah, of course, I mean, I do sometimes feel like, oh, maybe I've probably been here for too long and, you know, I should pass the baton and I, I always get these kind of like anxious sort of things, like, should I really still be doing this? But it's just like, yeah. I bloody love it and it is like, it is my life. You know, I don't have anything, anything gone, else outside gone, of gone, it. <laughs> be- you don't even have a partner, that's it probably be-
3: why. It becomes your identity. <laughs> it it, it shouldn't say me. it like that, it shouldn't identify, it doesn't, it doesn't define who me and you are at all. But, Everything you do is like it, it is a product of you in that club. So oh, really? when you go in there on a Saturday night, when it's maybe you have bad nights, you feel it, and when you have good nights, you embrace it and you enjoy it. Now, I don't think there's another job that you oh, could I do an office job. No, can you? No. I like, want to see I don't know what the, the tangible Be honest. The results of what you do. Um,
2: yeah. I feel like if I gave uh, up the job, I would be giving the club up for adoption or something. And so, because <laughs> it does feel like a, a child that I've nurtured from the beginning and it's just got over the turbulent teenage years and now going to be 20. So this surely is going to be great now. Mm. So I need to stick around for that. Right. And like, you know, he's not left home yet or no. anything. Yeah. And I, I honestly do feel like it's a child that I didn't have. And I've just like nurtured and loved it all the way through. I, I've given all of my love skills that I might have given to a child, I've given to to the club and to the artists that go through it. You know, I'm like the big, you know, the old black mama, you know, that's what yeah. I am. Actually,
3: <laughs> the staff is like, everyone comes through learns. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I mean, I was doing, I'd been doing stuff for a good seven years and I come and work with Judy and it's just like you learn off each other. and the the, what do you call it? There's certain ethoses that have been passed down in fabric. But what I do agree with, and I don't mean it's in a, Bad way is, is you want if you ever did leave, you want to know that someone was there,
2: yeah.
3: And I look behind, and I've been chatting about this with other promoters. There's no young whippersnapper going, oh, When I was there, I wanted to be, I wanted to do this, and I fought my way up. And it's like, oh, I want I yeah, to, yeah, you're just like hungry for it. I don't see, I don't see that. And I was chatting to other other people, and they say the same thing. There doesn't seem to be this hungry desire to be a a 52 week a year promoter because you have to give up so much you sacrifice so mm. much of your personal yeah. life yeah to, to 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 put on these shows for people um, and it often makes me laugh when people go so what do you do in the week yeah it's just just like, like yeah cheers <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like
2: you, we're yeah. making it happen during yeah. the week just you just, like the just see the
3: result <laughs> you know you great yeah. uh, <laughs>
1: amazing Judy Andy thank you so much for coming in and talking to me oh, thank okay. you thanks, thanks for having yeah. us <laughs>
3: The love that you
1: took was always to with that you took from me was always meant to
3: be with me. Love that you took from me was always meant to be with me.